my name is Matt Graham, and I'm I'm a primitive skills teacher and an ultra runner. And yeah, I've been doing both for almost 30 years. Um, and I'll be running the Grand Grand next uh, next September, uh, September 24 to be exact. <laughs> <laughs> You're very precise, man. You got everything down to the day. <laughs> Yeah, nice. So I guess uh, Grand Grand's kind of in your backyard. Like you live in southern Utah, and um, it's pretty close to you, right? Yeah. So I, I moved out to a little area, well, a big area called the Grand Staircase National Monument. <laughs> but there's a couple little towns that I live nearby, and I've been out there for uh, tw- about 26 years now. And and I moved out there originally to teach survival skills for the Boulder Outdoor Survival School. Um, so basically, we take students out for seven days to 28 days and teach them how to rough it and live with the land and and orientate and all these different skills while they're suffering, starving and marching across the desert for for however long they sign up for. <laughs> it sounds like um, Grand to Grand's right up your alley then, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm excited about Grand to Grand. I I first gotten i've been a, a an athlete my whole life uh, i started out as a triathlete when i was 15 years old i grew up in southern california um and i actually had aspirations to go pro as a triathlete and was training for it um but then i moved to yosemite when i was 17 and like just competition kind of faded i just loved running mountains and i loved climbing and um that led into survival skills. And then eventually um, I ran my first 100K when I was 20 years old. And I've been running pretty far ever since. That's <laughs> <laughs> quite the background. Like, you're definitely an accomplished runner. You've done a lot of things. And, and I don't know, like the survival aspect is interesting. And then moving that into like multi day events where, like, even though it's not a race, it's still you're out there for many hours on your feet exploring, foraging in your, in your case. Yeah, for for me, like I, you know, as I I came from a background of being like speed and competition, and then once I discovered multi day adventure runs, um, I, I I still like to run fast, but some of that kind of faded away with just being out there, and and I really loved the experience of how to how to combine survival with running. And I feel like that's kind of where my niche is. You know, I, I put a lot of time into um, Stone Age hunter-gatherer skills, living with the land the way, way prehistoric people did, but also mixing that with the culture of, say, like the Tarahumara and how they move simply across the land for multiple days at a time, like like sometimes just carrying a piece of cloth wrapped around me and and trying to survive with, with just what I find and... and uh, that that connection of the lands what gets me really juiced with running. Yeah, how did you get involved in that? Because going from a triathlete to kind of dirtbagging in Yosemite to living off the land is it, they're they're drastically different things. So like, how did you get into um, kind of the survival aspect and then adventuring that way? Um, yeah, it, it well, long story short, I when I was seventeen, I I went on vacation with my mother up to Yosemite Valley and and I was like hey mom <laughs> I'm gonna stay here <laughs> and uh I just I took a climbing class and and I really sucked at it like horribly and I've always been a pretty good athlete with a lot of things but I was really bad at climbing 
And for some reason that drew me into it even more. Um, so I, I stayed in the Valley, got a few odd jobs, eventually worked at the mountaineering store there and was climbing every day and, and uh, mountain running every day, running up to Half Dome and back a couple times a week. And yeah, that kind of became my love was running, climbing and survival at that time. Now, it's interesting that you said that you sucked at climbing. So like, why, why did doing something so hard and out of your comfort zone also draw you in? Because I think a lot of people are averse to doing things that are challenging, whereas you can just go sit at home, watch TV or do something where you know the outcome. But like, yeah, climbing was something totally different for you. So like, what was so intriguing about that? Um, I think I was just so gripped. You know, I was just top roping a five, six on my climbing class. Um, five, six is kind of a fairly easy grade. And, and I just remember like clinging to the rock and like leaning against it. And it was probably like, I don't know, it was pretty low angle slab. <laughs> and I was grunting like Rambo, you know, <laughs> and, and, and I was just so afraid of the heights too. Like I kept getting higher and looking down and I was like gripping harder. And, and I was like, oh, I have, like, I have this, at that moment, I felt like I have this love for the rock. Like I felt something like holding the rock but I had this horrible fear of heights. Um, and I just felt like something I needed to work through somehow. No, that's interesting. Like, I, don't know, I guess like pushing yourself out of your comfort zone though will teach you new skills and lead to different directions in your life. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, yeah, I, I, you know, I feel like a lot of times we, we avoid our, our, our discomforts and we we avoid our weaknesses and so, sometimes that's a good idea <laughs> sometimes it's good to like hone into what you're strong at but at that time i felt like i even though i was bad at it i felt like it came from fear like intuitively i knew that somehow i could conquer this like i had a lot of body control i grew up break dancing and street dancing and martial arts and um, just had a very athletic background and I was, I was really curious how I could combine all these, these athletic skills into a fluid dance on, on the rock. And, and eventually it happened. Eventually I got more comfortable on the rock and more fluid and, um, yeah. But at first it was just, uh, I was fighting the rock. It was winning. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess living in Yosemite then, and then also climbing so much, like how did you get into, into running? Because I know a lot of people that go to Yosemite and they just, they just climb, 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 climb. But like, why did you just start? Why did you, why did you decide to start running while you were living there? Yeah. Well, so, so yeah, I start, I, I grew up jogging with my dad since I was like four years old. And then growing up in school, I was a really, really fast quarter miler. So I, mostly a track athlete, but, um, I quit high school fairly early. Um, I started getting into triathlons my first year of high school, and then I, I quit as a freshman. I started working full-time and training full-time uh, with the intention of being a triathlete. I had really amazing bike times, and I was a fish in the water. I was a good swimmer, um, and I was a short-distance runner. Um, so long-distance running, it, it wasn't really my strong forte. Um, uh, eventually by the time I was 18, I got my 10 K time down to 32 minutes, um, which at the time was, that was fast enough to be a pretty good triathlete. 
And, and then when I, I, I was training really hard and I, I ended up, I had a, I had a knee condition, which is, uh, um, it's, it's called an enlarged plica band. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It, it affects a smaller portion of the population. Basically it's this covering that kind of goes around your knee. And as, as most people get older, it sort of just gets thin, but for some reason, some people's don't mine didn't, you know, maybe because of all the parkour and martial arts, I'm not sure, but it started getting aggravated. So I like kind of tapered off running, but then when I went to the mountains and hit the trails again, it, it felt fine. And I was like, Oh, I, you know, my love for running started coming back. And, and I remember the first time I ran to the top of Half Dome, which is this 18 mile round trip trail in the Valley. It was so majestic just getting up to the top of this peak. And, and I was totally spent. I didn't bring any water and got down and felt pretty rough around the edges, but something inside me, like, is like, you got to do this a couple times a week. So I just kept doing it. Oh, that's cool. I think a lot of us have similar experiences, maybe not the same where it's like, well, I run 18 miles. Cause I remember my first few runs were like maybe two or three, but I had a similar feeling anyways of like, wow, yeah. this is incredible just to be out in the mountains and outside. And like, now it's like a lot of my life, but it's cool that like Yosemite like drew you in that way. And you had such a good experience there on a run. Yeah. 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 It's, yeah, it's hard to, hard to explain. Like, like climbing was climbing and running and hiking. We're all just like, to me, they're just an extension of each other. Um, an extension of a way to move through the Sierra mountains and, and, you know, the trails and the cliffs and everything. So it was just like, I just wanted to explore. And those, those avenues got me there. Yeah. So did, did all the hiking and running and climbing, did that all kind of did that almost kind of like become the gateway for you learning about like survival skills and stuff? Or was that also something you did with your dad back when you were a kid? Yeah, my, my dad definitely put a spark. So we had a cabin in the mountains, even though I was a Southern California kid, we, we'd go up there and he, he was a hunter. Um, not the best one, but we'd go hunt quail. And, um, and he taught me, he loved Yule Gibbons, which was like this naturalist um, plant expert. So he taught me about um, watercress and smelling the different trees and eating mint and nettles and all the basic kind of uh, plant stuff. And then I'd go to Indian camp as a kid and, and, and there, there's little, little sparks, little seeds here and there that were definitely planted. Um, so when I moved to Yosemite, I had like, I had like a library of edible plant books and survival books. And then I met, uh, I wish I remember his name, but I met a curator at the museum that was just exceptional skills. He taught me how to make a fire with, with a, it's called a hand drill. So rubbing the stick down on a hearthboard. Um, and then he showed me how he, he blanched his acorns and he would take milkweed fibers from this plant and he would twist, hand twist these, these long strands of beautiful rope. And he'd make this this it looked like a hammock, but it was designed to carry carry a load. It was traditional the Miwok uh, native people that lived there. And then I would go spend time. There was a Miwok lady that was at the uh, museum, and she was always demonstrating weaving and working with rocks. Her name was Lucy, um, so I'd watch her and and 
and so on my off time that that planted a little bit of a seed and so i'd go out um on my weekends i started testing my skills by just not bringing a backpack anymore so i'd go out and i'd run in the backcountry um, initially not very far like 20 to 25 miles but then i'd figure out how to collect some food and how, how to make a shelter and how to stay kind of warm <laughs> i say kind of warm because i'd always freeze my ass off but <laughs> but i was i was learning and i was figuring stuff out you know and 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 that that was like became a really kind of a consistent way of spending my weekends um after a couple of years i moved to sequoia and that's when i started doing more ultra running so i was doing the same thing but extending those distances to 50 or 60 miles a day on the weekends what was it like the first time you went out for like say 20 25 miles and and just just froze your butt off like was that hard to to figure it out um <laughs> yeah for sure <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I think it was just kind of one of those things where I, you know, I was a little stubborn headed and I was like, oh, well, I probably just didn't make my shelter very good, you know, so I'll make it better next time. And it was just a process of learning like what shelters were actually truly good or not for, for each environment and each circumstance. Um, and, and then it taught me a lot, too, about not only finding food, but how to run really far without food. Um, and also without as much water. So I, my, there's a period where my body definitely became very adaptive to different conditions. No, it's interesting. It's like you're challenging your body in a way that's probably actually just the most natural way to move and, and live and stuff. But yeah. it seemed hard at first, right? Because we're just so unaccustomed to that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it it was a mix of like hard and, and invigorating too, like like the new challenge. And, and I was really fit at the time, so like you know that that obviously helps. Um, I think we had that conversation earlier where where it's like when you're when you go out for a run, if you're fit, you obviously that time frame is smaller. So, but if you're not as fit, then you're like kind of suffering because you're out there, you know, all day trying to cover these miles um, yeah it's like t two extremes of suffering either you suffer hard really fast or you suffer long yeah really sl slowly or slowly but it's still suffering <laughs> to totally yeah i think i've heard like jim walmsley say that yeah the quicker i get to the finish line the suffering's over <laughs> <laughs> he's not right you can just suffer for 14 and a half hours at 100 or suffer for 24 but you're still yeah. suffering <laughs> everybody's suffering in their own way for sure <laughs> <laughs> exactly so how how did that become i guess like the wilderness aspect of like multi-day adventures self like self-preservation self-survival i don't know what you exactly would call it but like how did that become your life because Maybe some people don't know that are listening that like that's kind of your career, right? Is like teaching people mm -hmm. how to survive in the wilderness while while moving yeah. through it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, it, yeah, I think I, growing up, like I realized the nine to five wasn't gonna work for me. So I, you know, I was I was always searching for something different. I I became a vegan when I was sixteen because I was like, oh, maybe you know, maybe that's a lighter footprint on the earth, and. And so it kind of, it started with my diet, and then I think engaging in the survival skills and having a direct connection with the land was an extension of trying to understand a lighter footprint on the earth. Um, and then I also made a commitment to myself 
um, at, at one time to not even get in a car, which is kind of part of how my ultra running extended. But it's also why I was horrible at races because I was spent by the time I got there. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, so I, I started I, I, that that idea of how can I chase this um, this footprint that's that's lightweight and and the skills eventually it became more than just a search for a light footprint. Like I found, I found joy in the skills. I found joy in the, the connection of building things myself, seeing where my food came from, seeing how my shelter was built. Um, and, and I had done that for some years in the Sierra mountains. And then somewhere, I think it was like outside magazine. I was flipping through it and I saw this ad with an arrow going through it, it said Boulder outdoor survival school in Utah. And I was, I was like, oh, this might be something. So I called the number. Um, the owner at the time, Dave Westcott, picked up the phone. He's like, hello? And I was like, can I work for you? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, uh, who are you? <laughs> so so we spoke for a moment, and he told me I had to take a course first, to, which is part of being an instructor. And um, I told him I really didn't have any money. He's like, well, come on over. We'll see what we can do. So I pedaled my bike over from California and and then I like felt like I met my tribe you know I met a lot of good people that I connected with because they were doing a lot of the same things I was doing and um, started working for the school and started guiding with a couple other outfits in Utah um, eventually I started leading all the hunter-gatherer programs for the survival school which is their their stone age um, it's kind of more of the stone age fully living off the land kind of kind of classes those were two weeks at a time and uh yeah i guess kind of of got a little um known for that like on my off time i was really living that lifestyle i even did a six-month wilderness solo one time i left in the winter solstice and i stayed out alone until summer solstice (laughs) without coming into town once or you know resupplying or anything like that so i was just out there um, and yeah, somewhere along the line, I started doing some consulting for film and television and, and, and I really enjoyed that. And I went to go apply for this one job as a consultant and, and they met me and they're like, you're on camera. You are definitely on camera. And I'm like, no, no, no. I, I work behind the camera. And they're like, no, no, you're in front. And I'm like, no. And, and they just like, they, they convinced me to do it. So I signed a four-year contract with Discovery and did a couple shows with them and then went on to do six more shows. And so I was working in educational survival television for about 10 years. That's interesting because it seems like living basically just off the land for six months and then suddenly being on TV are like complete opposites. Oh, yeah. Yeah, very, <laughs> very different. Um, but I, you know, there's a part of me that's always been a little bit of an entertainer, just growing up with, with dance in my background and, and, um, different things played a role in that. So I, like I adapted to it pretty quickly and enjoyed it, enjoyed the teamwork and enjoyed presenting that educational side to, to the public. Definitely. So like, besides just being like, just straight fun, like just being outside and stuff, like, what is it about like multi-day running, hiking, like survival things that really draws you in? Cause I think a lot of people would be like, well, 
like that sounds miserable like why would i want to go and like be without my phone or without like whatever and here you are just like living off the land so like why why i guess what's enjoyable to you about that yeah um i yeah i i find not doing that and miserable <laughs> like <laughs> like for me like like going out like like on a multi-day run through the land like my my body's tired but my soul is like fulfilled you know and to me like if my soul's not fulfilled that that's misery like my body like it can it can take take the beating um and and it's not really a beating i you know you get out there and you're you're breathing fresh air your your legs are moving in rhythm with the earth it starts feeling like this this dance this relationship between you and mother earth and and it it just gets me juiced like i like i've been i've been doing it for so long it's like it's it's hard it's kind of hard to imagine like taking that out of my life i don't do it as much but it's it's still there and it's still really prevalent um yeah and and I, multi-day adventures have been a part of my life for a long time when i was 23 i ran the length of california on the pacific crest trail with just a cloth rolled around my waist just really basic kit you know i managed to get through the the, the state that way um, with the exception of the sierras the sierras i actually had a, a down bag mailed to me so i could sleep on top of the peaks because it was pretty i just like that um, but the rest of the state i ran just super raw just carried stuff around my waist and um since since that point and and before i've been doing run other runs through california that are just not really known trails but just kind of my own routes and i've gone from southern southern utah to southern arizona and back a lot of times maybe seven or eight <laughs> um just totally different routes mostly off trail and and just the things I've learned about the capacity of my body to to go those distances without much food or much water, and and being able to read the land and be engaged with the land like that is is um, yeah it's really it's kind of addicting for me. Like I don't really think about it as misery. There's hard days, but there's also blissful days. Definitely, I think I know that's one of like the biggest takeaways I've had from being out at Grand to Grand multiple times is is seeing these people come in and initially this is just my observation while being out there filming and stuff but like everybody comes in they're kind of talking about their jobs and like everyone's on their phones like everybody's addicted to their cell phones these days but then like <laughs> the digital detox of the event of like not having real communication you're not like tracking the run on your watch or anything like it's interesting to see how people kind of change over that week and they start like everyone's just talking more people are more like even though everyone's disgustingly dirty and smelly from like just running for a week, people seem a little more vibrant and just happy to be living in the moment yeah. versus like sucked in their cell phones and computers all the time. It's it's interesting to see. Totally. You know that it, it's interesting you say that because I, I've told you earlier, like I got my first phone when I was 40, 40 years old. <laughs> so, so that hasn't been a big part of my life. Um, but what you said about like, uh, you know about people coming in when they have that digital detox like they they just they're connecting to something else um a, a friend of mine his daughter um so he he was a well-known survival instructor his name's david holiday and one of his daughters is at the time i think she was 
like five, five or six, she noticed that when people started a survival trip, the, like a long one, a 28 day course. And then she noticed when they came back, they were different. And she said to her dad, she's like, how, how come when people come back, they're dirtier, but they're cleaner. And, and what she meant was like their skin's dirty, but their, their being is clean, cleaner. Like they're, they're more vibrant and happy. And I thought that was really cool for, you know, a six-year-old to acknowledge that. Yeah, it's almost like like she's has never really experienced all the like the technological I even know what you would call it, like inundation of just being flooded with it every day. And she mm -hmm. was able to recognize these differences from like this outside perspective. And and I think it helps too that kids are just so honest and, and observant that they yeah. can see stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Just how come they're dirty but they're cleaner? <laughs> I, I don't know. I think it's cool. I, I know. It, yeah. It sounds simple, but no, I, I think so. I think it's awesome. Like, I think those, like the simpleness of these things is, is super important. And like, like running in itself is so simple. And for whatever reason, I think as modern humans, we try to make things more complex than they need to be. Like, I'm going to go run and I need, I need this and I can't go run unless I have this special whatever. And this night, if I don't put it on Strava, it doesn't count. Like it's a joke, but like, we all kind of get wrapped up in this stuff, but like really the simplicity of running is the best part of just like being outside in the environment and seeing yeah. things, smelling things and being with people that you care about, or you kind of like learn to care about, if that makes sense. Like you spend time with somebody and you just, you bond over these things while you're out there. And it's like, you can create real true friendships and not like some superficial, like Facebook friend <laughs> friendship. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like it's super fun, but. Um, I'm interested more like, like in your running right now, I guess, like, so you, you've done a lot of like, obviously endurance stuff over the days and now you've signed up for grand to grand for next year. So like, mm -hmm. obviously you have a lot of experience doing multi-day stuff, like mainly like, I guess a lot of it, like without a pack and surviving off the land. So like, like what's intriguing to you about running a stage race in Southern Utah and Northern Arizona? Um, yeah, you know, it, this is, this will actually be my first stage race. Like one, I never could afford to sign up for one. Um, but <laughs> like, like, I don't know. They're just kind of off the radar. Like I, I was just like either raced a race, like a one day race, or I went out and did this kind of stuff by myself. So I think what intrigued me the most was like, well, this is actually what I do most of the time. So, so why, why not join a bunch of people and, do it as an event and i think that's foremost what's like drew me into it and and also like the competitive side too i'm like well you know i like i have so much experience in the multi-day spectrum you know 30 30 years of running these uh, adventure routes with multi-days with a pack i'm just curious what that stacks up to in a race like i really have no idea I don't know if I'll be in the middle of the pack or I'll be in the top three people that end up at the finish line. I don't know. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I guess there's one way to find out, and it's by uh, going out and doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Have you thought much about like the the food aspect of it? Because I know you could you could probably do the entire route just surviving off the land and everything, but like in a little in a race environment with some rules is a little bit different. So like. Have you thought about your equipment and uh, the nutritional aspect of it? Yeah. So 
lately I've been doing more what I, what people know as fast packing. So I, I have a lot of tech gear um, more in the more recent years. Um, and I'm working in some developments that are in that, that sort of genre. So I have really dialed, dialed in gear for going ultra light and, and have a pretty good idea on what food works for me. I'll still be bringing, I have, I really love panole for multi-day runs. It just works good for me. It's a traditional, um, toasted corn based, um, food and I don't eat it all the time, but when I'm doing multi-day runs like that that type of fuel feels hydrating and I'm getting the carbs at the same time. Um, so I'll have a lot of that. Uh, I've been using spring energy primarily as well for, for just shorter runs and love that stuff. I might bring some of it. It's a little bit heavier for, for uh multi-day stuff, but it, I definitely love to pepper it in there for sure. Um, and then fat, fat's important if you're doing you you want the most calories without too much weight so carrying nuts or anything that's high high fat is important and learning how to have your body adapt to that fat using that as fuel is important and that takes time you can't just like show up at a race as a carb carb guy or carb gal and just decide to go all fat for the race you gotta you have to get used to the foods you're racing with yeah, I think that's if that's the only takeaway people have from this the show is like plan and then train with what you're gonna mm-hmm. be using during the race. Cause it's like yeah. if you're like, oh well, I'm gonna go and just be keto or something for the race, and then you have stomach distress for four days, like you're probably not gonna have a very good event. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, it is amazing. Like like you know, like a carbohydrate, like the density you get from like panole will have like i think 1600 calories per pound um and that works for me but like a bag of nuts you know you're getting like 3400 calories plus per pound so when you, you stretch that over multiple days that you know learning to burn that fat's important also yeah and if you think about it from a weight perspective too on your pack like that's a lot of extra cal, like a lot of weight calories you're carrying. If you could just mm-hmm. consume more fat, like you can save a lot of weight in your pack. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. I'm a, I love chia seeds too. That's always been a go-to. <laughs> like if I if I run out of food when I'm on multi-day runs, if I have just chia seeds for a couple days, just a little bit in water, I'm fine. I'm hungry, <laughs> but I, my energy stays pretty pretty steady. Yeah, I guess you could make some uh, chia seed pudding for for breakfast and stuff, right? (laughs) Yeah, that'd be awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm interested to see like how how your race plays out because obviously you have so like you have so much experience on these multi day things and like pacing yourself and eating, fueling, just all these different aspects of it. And like, it's still a challenge, obviously, because it's a race environment, but it's also like something it seems like you're very comfortable with. Yeah, yeah, I think. I think there's a level of comfort for sure. And I think a lot of it will play into how well I'm able to train and prepare. Um, I've kind of the past, most of my, most of my life I've run like really well injury free, but the past, past few years I've had a couple injuries flare up and they've kept my miles back. So if, if, and I feel pretty good now, if I could bring my miles back up and keep it and show up with good fitness, that'll be super helpful so the if the experience and the fitness is there then then i might actually be competitive (laughs) Um, um, but if yeah if the fitness is there hopefully the experience just carries me and has i can have fun still 
definitely. And I'm going to put you on the spot here for a second. Um, it seems like most people that come out and run grand to grand, at least in the years I've been out there filming, seem to have a lot of foot issues. And I think it's a lot of people aren't used to this type of environment of like the, the dry mm-hmm. abrasive sand, just the dryness and plus all the mileage too. Yeah. So like how, or I guess, do you have any tips for people as far as like foot care goes? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, kind of, <laughs> I'm kind of an anomaly in, in the foot environment. Um, just cause I, I do run, I run in sandals quite a bit and I run barefoot quite a bit. Um, and for, for a while, I ran very exclusively that way. I still mix in shoes now. But, but yeah, for me, like I, I, I am definitely going to be having a, a decent amount of barefoot time prior to the race because I, I feel like that if I can keep my foot a little bit callous before I go in, that, that can help some on, on the, the foot stuff. Um, but, yeah, I, like so I run quite a bit in like sandals like this um kind of the old hirachi style which is like the three points of contact this is kind of a tech version but i used to make them with just a leather strap um so i mix that with going barefoot um i'm honestly i'm undecided i might race in sandals (laughs) um because sandals actually do pretty well in the sand like you don't the, the sand goes in and it goes out but in shoes the sands when it goes in it, it's stuck in there and then you're, you're wearing sand gaiters and all this extra stuff um sometimes that's more of a hassle than having something where you're a little bit more free um, i just i like going, run, running sandals too i'm not always as fast but it feels pretty awesome when you're in the desert environment and that's what a lot of the native people ran when they lived here interesting so i think if and maybe correct me if i'm wrong but like it seems like a lot of people would benefit from just maybe even going for some like short walks barefoot or wearing some minimal sandals barefoot just to build some foot strength and some calluses up to kind of like mm-hmm. preemptively mitigate any like sort of blister per foot problem, right? 100%. Yeah. The the best shape, best racing shape I've ever been in was actually not wearing sandals at all, but mixing a lot of barefoot running in with high performance shoes. Um, because I was getting the performance out of the shoes, but I was getting the performance out of my feet. And if you can do those combined, you can, you can get yourself to an elite level. I'm pr- I feel really confident of that. And that's, that's worked for me in the past. Um, sandals for me are more of like, in some ways, just an, a spiritual experience and the simplicity and, and I don't have stinky socks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you go, uh, go sockless at grand to grand, I'm sure your tent mates will appreciate it. Cause you won't be pulling <laughs> off stinky socks at night. <laughs> Damn straight. <laughs> that's, that's pretty fun. <laughs> oh man. Well, um, it was fun talking to you, dude. Um, yeah, super good. I'm excited too. to see you out at the race. Like, this is definitely yeah. your type of environment and spending a week out in the desert is always a blast. So it'd be fun to hang out for a bit and, um, and learn some more about survival tactics. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Good chatting with you today. Yeah. So, um, just as we wrap up here, like where can people find you? Are you, are you Instagram and that sort of stuff? Uh, yeah, I do. I do have a Instagram account. It's, it's just my name, Matt Graham and then earth skills. And, and that's where you can find my classes. Um, and, I'll be doing and keep updates. I still, it seems like I still do maybe one film project a year. So keep an update on that, you know, what's coming up as well. 
Cool. So we'll look for you on Discovery Channel then, not behind the scenes, but in front of the camera. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The reruns are still running strong. Um, yeah. So I was on uh, a show called Dual Survival, a show called Dude You're Screwed, uh, hosted another one called Bushcraft Build Off, and um, uh, First Man Out. Uh, what else? Um, Living Wild, um, Surviving the Stone Age. There, there's a bunch out there. Just go, 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 go on. <laughs> well, I'm going to go look them up. It sounds interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's been a, been a run for sure. Good run. <laughs> nice, man. We'll let you go and we'll, uh, we'll end the call here. But I appreciate your time and excited to hang out next year. Yeah, yeah, same. Cheers. All right, man. We'll talk, yeah, we'll talk soon.